0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Aki Koteyama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my co cool guests. My guest today is Zack Mangan, who is the co-founder of Kero, the Japanese tea importer and distributor based in Fukuoka, Japan and New York. Zack joined us in episode 44 and talked about his love and passion for Japanese tea. If you haven't, I highly recommend listening to episode 44, since Zach is such a great speaker with a fantastic sense of humor. So now, four years later, Zach has lots of updates to share with us. So today we'll discuss his fascinating new book uh, titled Stories of Japanese Tea, The Visions, The Growers, and the Craft, which came out on May 24th, and what Zach offers at his new cafe and gallery in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and the latest Japanese tea trends in New York and much, much more. But before we start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, which you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Zach Mangan. Hello, Zach. Welcome back to the show.
1: Ah, uh, Kiko-san, thank you. It's great to be back. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on again
0: yeah so uh you have a lot to talk about today so uh but first of all, uh since our last conversation was a long time ago, so uh so to refresh your memory of who you are, where are you from, and what did you eat when you grew up?
1: Okay, my name is Zach Mangan. I was born in Pennsylvania, and I lived there till I was twelve and then moved to Minnesota, went to high school in Minnesota, and then went to college. In Boston before moving to New York City where I live now and I grew up eating a fairly standard uh, American diet you know my mom and dad both cooked and I think every night dinner um, was was something homemade but we ate a lot of like traditional kind of like Italian American um, you know things like pasta chicken cacciatore my mom also her side of the family was uh, Polish, uh, so we, we had like goulash and, you know, some types of kind of, uh, more Polish style food, but by, by and large, it, it was a pretty traditional, um, traditional type of American cooking, which, um, yeah, that's, that's how I grew up eating.
0: Mm, well, so obviously obviously your palates are nurtured by your parents' food, so that's great. And, uh, so you went to, um, uh, uh, the college in Boston, which is Bangley College of Music. So that's interesting. So, but you studied music, but somehow you are now one of the top tea merchants in America. So how did you get into Japanese tea?
1: That's a great question. Yeah. So I, I went to school in, in Boston and I was there to study jazz performance, which was Uh, My passion and what I, I really, you know, fully, you know, spent all my time and energy doing. And I actually think to kind of connect your last question to this one, I think that's one of the times where I really got exposed to different types of cuisine. And I was lucky to get to travel a little bit with my family when I was when I was a bit younger. Uh, and you know, that was maybe the first time, you know, if we went to Europe or we went South or we went somewhere with a different type of food culture than I was used to, I always enjoyed eating different types of food. But, um, yeah, in school, uh, in Boston, I, you know, I met lots of people from all over the world and, you know, just was eating different types of cuisine, had sushi for the first time when I was 17 years old. So I had not had it before that. Um, and then it was actually during my travels uh, one summer when I was in Paris I uh, was peripherally interested in tea uh, specifically green tea and I, I had bought some Japanese tea before but I bought Shinsha which is the new spring harvest tea at a tea shop in Paris and it really was such a powerful experience to try it and it was something I always say was kind of nostalgic which is unique because I'd never had it before but I felt this sort of familiarity when i tried it and that's really the thing that pushed me into like you know really you know it becoming more than a hobby and, or something i really was wanted to seek out more of and uh become more familiar with mm,
0: wow well, do you remember where the shincha was from i i would be lying if
1: i said i remembered exactly i have a <laughs> feeling just if i if i were if you put me on the spot i would guess it was from Shizuoka, uh, just based on what I think I remember it looked like, but I can't remember exactly. I I wish I did. Mm. It was an important tea. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) Okay. And uh, so uh, you have an amazing story about how you ended up starting your own tea company in 2011, which you shared in episode 44. But for listeners who have not listened to it, can you tell us uh, how a cup of tea you served to Japanese strangers in New York changed your life?
1: Yeah, that's uh it's a pretty uh it's a foundational uh experience for for my life for sure. I was at that time uh since moving to New York I had started working for a Japanese tea company because I as I mentioned I became so interested in it I wanted to learn more and I also being a jazz musician needed needed a job. Um so during my time there someone had brought me a gift of this this tea that was not for sale in the store it was just something they brought back from Fukuoka. And I remember opening it, and right when I smelled it, I was like, "Wow, this is totally different than what we have here in the shop." So I brewed it, and I was just blown away at how delicious it was. And I think I only had like a hundred gram bag, so I was sort of, you know, uh, I was I was drinking it slowly. And and one day, these two gentlemen came in the shop. They were uh, visiting from Japan. Their English was, you know, was um it wasn't fluent but they were great communicators and they just showed a real interest in 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 both the store and myself so i thought well now's the time i'll show them some hospitality i brewed them the tea and once i gave it to them they were totally like you know they had such a strong response to it they talked they were talking to each other, and then they asked me, "Can we see the package or where the tea comes from? You know could, we'd like to we'd like to see it?" So I showed it to them, and they started laughing, and they're like, "That's the tea that we drink in our office in Fukuoka. We know that farm." So they gave me their business cards and they said, "This is too funny if you ever come to Japan and you'd like to visit, we'd be happy to show you And long story short, I decided to take a trip to Japan a year later, and I reached out to them. And they met me, Uh, I took the Shinkansen from Tokyo down to Fukuoka in Kyushu, and they met me at the train station, and it it wasn't just the two gentlemen, they actually had a business and they closed for the day, and all of the members of the business came (laughs) and greeted me, and each one had, uh, you know, a gift, omiyage, so they all handed me a gift and introduced himself and I was just sort of overwhelmed with like I felt like a dignitary like I was visiting from <laughs> you know like from from somewhere overseas and this they were just bringing me all these gifts and they drove me up to the farm and it was such a surreal moment because this gentleman walked over and they said yes this is the the gentleman who made the tea that you brewed for us in New York and then that experience of seeing the fields and getting a chance to just understand the difference in freshness of you know the tea that that is in the japanese marketplace domestically that just totally changed things for me and it was after that trip that i really started to think more deeply about you know not only working professionally in tea but um you know making it a career and also really wanting to connect with those farmers and bring their products into the states
0: Mm, wow serendipity (laughs) yes
1: Yeah, it was, it was something that you absolutely, I could not have planned it. And it was one of those moments where you just, you can remember exactly a particular moment that changed your life, which, you know, you're lucky to get one and, and, you know, I've been lucky to have a few of them and and that's one of the biggest for sure.
0: Mm, Right. And also your generosity uh, brought you on fortune. So that's something we should learn. You have to be generous. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and then, uh, so what is the concept of Kettle Tea? That's your company. And what do you offer to whom?
1: Right. So it started with a simple idea, which was that, you know, the the freshest and highest quality teas in Japan stay in the domestic marketplace. So the reason why it's kind of, there's a com- complicated, um, but more or less a lot of the products are made in you know the rural parts of Japan, and the style of business that's practiced there is is not you know particularly it's it's very insular. So a lot of the business that happens stays within the community, and you know through sort of understanding, spending time with the growers, and starting to understand some of their you know why they would be hesitant to work with uh, somebody outside of their community and also outside of Japan, I came up with a plan to uh, you know to to basically develop a business that looked more like a domestic Japanese business so that meant having an office and staff in Japan having you know following the same business practices that their other clients would including having a fax machine having you know being able to send money through the Japanese banking system and you know being able to field uh, inquiries by our staff in Japan in native Japanese and all of those kind of elements made them less you know, uh, reluctant to begin to work with me. And it was sort of also like the practice of, um, you know, of taking the time to kind of consider what their needs were. It built a a level of trust between us that I think they appreciated. So once that started, I was able to source these same teas that were going into the domestic marketplace, but bring them into the States. Uh, And initially I I worked primarily with uh, chefs. So my thesis was, Nobody's going to listen to me if I say that these are the best Japanese teas or, you know, certainly not only in the States, but in Japan. It's I, I may have said this on the last show, but I always joke that it's like saying best slice of pizza in New York. It's like you can anybody can slap that on the front of their business and there's really no one to say if it's true or not. But when you have chefs uh, who, you know, are speaking highly of your products, it sort of helps. Uh, send the message that yes the quality is high and yes it's it's something different that you can you know you can use their uh, you know their name to to kind of understand the value Uh, and then you know throughout the last few years we've built it into more of also in addition to wholesale to our retail company so we do e-commerce we have a few cafes and it's really for me just uh, a kind of you know, uh, the ability to share how unique Japanese tea and Japanese culture is. Um, so, you know, I can get into more details, but that's the, kind of the high level of, of what we do at Kettle.
0: Mm, right. And if listeners wants to, um, how Zach got connected to the super high-end chefs, that's another interesting part of last episode, uh, 44. So they have to listen to it. But uh, yeah, so that's great. So you're, um, we're going to discuss your, interesting project in your business uh, in the moment but first let's talk about your wonderful new book titled stories of japanese tea the Visions, the growers and the craft so um, it's an extremely informative as well as a fun book and i really enjoyed that and it's full of your love and passion for japanese tea culture so so what's the theme of the book and why did you write it
1: that's a great question. Thank you, and thank you for the kind words about the book. I also just want to say a quick thank you to Princeton Architectural Press, the publishers, who were so gracious to help me publish the book. And you know, we're we're just great partners to get it out. Um, so the book was actually con—I you know, conceived of the book prior to having an actual uh, book deal. So I, you know, my intent with the book and my intent with the business really is to always be pushing kind of the dialogue about tea and specifically Japanese tea forward. And one of the things that I think you know, is really important. is It's kind of twofold. Number one, educating the customers, but also sort of bringing the conversation around tea and around the quality of tea to a higher level. And I thought the best way to do this, kind of following, you know, in the footsteps of wine, was to really showcase the the artisans and the growers who craft these products. So my initial thought was, well, I would like to do these interviews with the growers and take photos, portraits, photos that you know, at uh, origin, and that would be the foundation for the book. So, you know, rather than me just saying, hey, I'm Zach Mang and I'm from Pennsylvania. Let me tell you all about Japanese tea. I thought the more interesting route would be More of being more of a conduit between these tea professionals in Japan, and then kind of interpreting and and, and parsing out the information that they provide in these interviews at the beginning of the chapter. So we go through many themes. We go through the different, you know, historical elements of tea. We look at the, the categories from, you know, sencha, hojicha, gyokuro, matcha, and each one of those chapters is anchored by an interview with somebody who not only is an expert in the field, but is a personal friend of ours and somebody that we source our products from. Um, so that's that's how it started, and you know it kind of grew in, in its scope to, to include a chapter on you know how to make cocktails, how to you know use tea with food, whether it's sweets or savory. And it was a kind of a celebration to be able to um, you know to work with people that we worked with already, chefs and mixologists. And then finally, there was a great chapter which I was honored to interview Dr. Andrew Weil about kind of demystifying some of the health benefits of tea. So it's really just just like, you know, for someone who's particularly interested in uh, tea, maybe professionally, I think it's a great resource. It's a book that, you know, I would have loved to have had when I was starting out. But I also feel like there's enough in the book that somebody who just has a peripheral interest, uh, maybe in tea or ceramics or, or Japan could could leaf through it and find something that, you know, they also could, could learn or or just be entertained
0: by. Mm, right. It's almost like, uh, you know, watching a documentary after reading the book, I, f- I feel like I met a lot of people who are supporting the industry. So Yeah.
1: And w- one of my favorite things about this book is how many people have just said, I learned a lot, you know, like. And and learning to me is like discovery and learning is is one of the things I enjoy doing the most, whether it's about tea or music or science. I just I find like learning new information to be very, um, you know, rewarding. And probably the highest compliment was my dad, who I love dearly, but is not a tea drinker, said, you know what, Zach? I I had no idea. Tensha sounds so interesting. Do you sell Tensha? And I said, oh, yeah, Dad, we have that. And he said, I got to come into the store and finally do like a full tasting. And I just felt like if my dad you know, who, who is not particularly, in, you know, interested in Japanese tea now has an interest in it, then I'm, I think there's hope. Oh, wow, <laughs> so that's a I'm glad home run. I wrote the, Yeah, exactly.
0: Right. Wow. Okay. And uh, so, well, you just mentioned one of the topics in your book is the history of Japanese tea. So maybe you can uh, give us a quick overview of uh, Japanese tea history and how tea became such an important part of Japanese culture.
1: Great. Yeah. It's a very interesting, you know, very interesting story. I'm not an expert on history, but it is something that I, you know, I spent a good deal of the book, um, you know, a lot of the time spent in the book was this researching this chapter and to follow tea in Japan is is quite unique because it kind of in a lot of ways um, was brought in and, and, and grew in popularity simultaneously with Japan going through a strong period of its of developing its cultural identity and i think uh that's because that was really the point at which Japan and China started to have Strong, you know, cultural exchange. So it's the same time that sort of the written languages were introduced in Japan and the kanji characters, where there was a lot of introduction of of religion. So through Buddhism and and through primarily certain styles of Buddhism from China. And one of the elements that was brought back was tea. These tea seeds, Uh, and that was in about the early eight hundreds. And one of the things about that. Um, that's so unique is that it wasn't really, you know, for, for many, for the early years, it was not like a beverage that was consumed like it is today in the sense that people drank it for relaxation or enjoyment. It was really more of almost like a stimulant or like a, a you know, a way to derive energy or, or, or almost treat yourself in a medicinal manner. So uh, as it grew, it really, like tea does, whether it goes to, you know, Taiwan or Korea or Russia or England, it really reflects the culture. Of the country in which it's in, and in Japan, you know, with the development of you know Zen Buddhism and sort of the development of the, the culture within Kyoto at that time, the capital, uh, it, it, tea really became this this status symbol, and it was something that was really for you know the highest officials and for the high ranking you know uh, uh, aristocrats at the time, uh, and that went through that phase, and then it sort of to rebound from that, which was so interesting, it kind of then took on this color of what we know now of the of the traditional Japanese tea ceremony through many different practitioners, probably, you know, the you know several of them are famous uh, but Sen no Riku I would say is probably the most well known and that time period was very interesting for tea because that's when the formality of the tea ceremony was codified, the Tamai and from there so much of I think even contemporary Japanese culture in the manners that people practice with each other in the way that Kaiseki cuisine which was born from the tea room and has now gone on you know, to be sort of the highest expression of seasonality in Japanese cuisine that really grew from tea and ceramic culture as well so I I actually you know I I feel like tea was a huge catalyst for so many of the developments of what we know now in arts and culture in Japan so it's a fascinating thing Um, there's authors and and books that go into it on a much deeper level than my book and I'd invite you to check those out but we do cover some of you know some of the basics of history in in the first chapter of the book.
0: Mm, right. And um, it's interesting you mentioned that tea was used as stimulant because lots of shoguns and, you know, higher samurai used tea before going to war, basically, right. and stay up. And also I heard the tea meetings, they call the tea meetings, as it's kind of political secret meetings. So it was a good, interesting cultural base for spending time together with someone important yeah, and politically. I don't, I don't...
1: And a funny story is it became sort of there was this this like fever pitch to people having these these betting games where uh, they would come together and they would try to identify what was true tea, meaning tea that was from Tagano and Uji, like in the Kyoto area, versus tea that was grown from outside. And they would bet vast sums of money, like, you know, they would bring, you know... Thousands of dollars in, and they would, you know, in a windfall, either make or lose this vast sums of money. And, you know, people were bringing. Really expensive ceramics from China and bedding them, and it was just sort of like it was chaos and there was a <laughs> moment where the government was like, "This is nuts, this needs to stop because people are you know they're they're losing their minds by this this sort of enjoyment of betting, like who can guess where the tea comes from and uh, it 's funny because we 're actually bringing back in brooklyn we 're going to start to do uh, obviously not with any form of betting, but these tea <laughs> games where you can you can get together in a group and try and identify and see if you can you can taste the difference in teas, and we give a little prize at the end. But it's uh, that was an interesting part of Japanese history for sure.
0: Mm, so that's the blind tasting war. Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. I have to come over and then try your blind tasting. Oh, I'd um, love test. for you. I mean, you
1: you you have such a good palate, though. You'd probably be a bit of a ringer. So, well, well, <laughs> I'd still have you in, though. I'd love to see it.
0: Well, oh, maybe I shouldn't go because I don't want to review actual hack on my palate. <laughs> so, and then uh, the favorite tea outside Japan, obviously, is matcha. And you have a chapter for it in your book. So, and matcha is versatile and used to make many delicious products such as matcha latte or matcha ice cream. But what do you think is the essence of matcha that Japanese emperors and shoguns loved in, in your opinion?
1: that's a great question so i think one like the the less exciting answer of those two is it was really the only available tea at the time so a lot of those that were partaking in it historically at that moment like this type of powdered tea was the very first uh form of tea that was introduced to them but i will say that the reason i think that it's kept its longevity there's two reasons so when people say well why is matcha only made in japan one interesting thing is that After it was introduced, Japan closed its borders again. And they were closed for a long period of time. And during that period, China actually stopped producing or severely limited the amount of powdered tea that they made. But the funny thing is Japan continued to develop a culture for powdered tea and powdered tea is more or less what matcha is so if you if when it reopened like they were really the only you know the only country left that was still producing it and not only they were producing it they were developing it and refining it in the way that japan does that they had brought it to a whole new level it was no longer this kind of bitter You know, a stringent medicinal blend that you would drink just to stay up all night to meditate. It became a more elegant beverage, and it really grew alongside you know sado, the traditional Japanese tea ceremony. So if you if you look at it from that perspective, even till today, it's continued to develop in a way that's so different. If you look you know to the surrounding countries, if you look to Taiwan or China or Korea, they really don't have a culture of drinking powdered tea like matcha, and that's something I really thought was just such an interesting development and if japan had kept its borders open and loose leaf teas or brick teas like pu'er were brought in from china later like perhaps matcha would have just been something that was talked about historically and not uh, something that's still so you know beloved and enjoyed today
0: Mm, interesting yeah so um and also i think by taste itself to me personally there's an addictive nature because it's bitter and the bitterness makes you a uh, palette more sweet oriented so there's like bitter and followed by sweetness and like back and forth and uh, not to mention the caffeine is pretty addictive too so um, yeah
1: it, it's a very you know it's a very full body tea it's something i think that if you haven't had it before it can be it can be really um uh, like a almost a, a hard to believe that something could taste like that because it has this rich umami which is this kind of savory full you know brothy character it has a lot of fragrance like a bright grassiness and nuttiness and then it can have some astringency or bitterness so it's this really complex flavor and then it is full of caffeine as well as uh, chemical l-theanine which is um, strongly linked with kind of a sense of Relaxation or well-being, so I do believe that it has some psychoactive element that that causes you know people to to want to have it again and again and again and and you know it's for somebody who sells the product we, we're not going to complain about that <laughs> if people want to drink it again and again that's good for us
0: right and not to mention you know it's the whole leaf that you eat right as you mm-hmm. drink you are consuming whole vitamins and minerals
1: everything yes and a a funny thing is so you talk about it has quite a lot of caffeine if you were to take a pound of matcha and a pound of sencha sencha actually per pound generally has more caffeine in it but the way that you consume matcha because it's you know it's it's a powder and you're whisking it and you're consuming the entire leaf into your body you're actually you know preserving you're consuming more uh more caffeine so It is. uh, We do get a lot of people that that drink it specifically for kind of a a, a particular reason, like, you know, for energy or for relaxation or specifically for health benefits because it just does provide, it provides a a broader spectrum of those chemicals because you consume the entire leaf.
0: Mm, Right. Okay and then uh so you also included in fascinating interviews in your book so maybe you could pick a, a grower and a producer or blender or whom you interviewed and tell us why they're so special
1: Oh that's that's a great question and actually I had a hard time thinking of which one I wanted to mention but I will tell a funny story that I told last week when I did the the first event um and all the growers and all the producers in it are people that I have very specific fond memories with. I have very specific, you know, stories I could tell. And also they all produce products that not only do I love and drink personally, but I sell them. So they're, everybody in the book, you could come to Kettle and get their products. But there's one in particular. I was in Uji visiting with a, a very old um producer of of uji tea and the the lead chashi chashi is the tea blender and he's also the president of the company so he is with you know for lack of a better term he's like the godfather of tea in uji and all the other farmers that we work with think of him as like you know he's the top of the top of the top he's quite a you know a serious and stern he's a friendly guy but you know the way that business is done in Uji. And, you know, it's, it's a, there's a lot of formalities to it. And one of the things I I loved in our meeting was prior to the meeting um, he mentioned, or his, you know, assistant said, you know, there, just so you know, we're happy to do the interview, but there's no photos. And I had actually heard that before because I, I'd known someone who had put his photo on their website and they asked him to take it down. So I was expecting, okay, no photos. And when we got to the interview, they said, Again, like, just so you know, there'll be no photo. And I was like, okay, they are very serious about this photo thing. It's not going to happen. So we go in and we sit, uh, you know, in his office and you sit on, you know, you sit like on a little Zabaton, like a little cushion and, you know, we're sitting around this little hearth and he, they'll bring us the matcha and we start to ask questions and I can kind of see like, you know, the questions are landing. He's finding them interesting and he's talking and, and always, this is always a good sign if you're in a first or, you know, a kind of a serious meeting if they bring a second tea so at some point in the middle of the meeting said he you know he motioned to his assistant like bring more bring more tea So they brought Sencha out. And I felt like, okay, the meeting's going pretty well because they brought more tea. So he's starting to laugh a little bit. We're starting to get, you know, some more colorful responses. So I'm feeling really good about this interview. And at the end of it, I kind of see there might be some opening here to get a photo, but I didn't want to ask him. So I said, I understand, of course, you know, there was no photos, uh, but maybe you can suggest something else. We can take like the Tokonoma, which is like the little alcove with a flower and a scroll like, how about that? How about we take that for the book instead of your photo? And I could see him start to kind of mutter to himself like, oh, maybe, oh, okay. All right. All right. We could do one photo. So I saw my chance and I moved him over right in front of the scroll. I snapped the three photos real quick. And I said, thank you. And I put the little card in my pocket thinking like, I got to take this photo. Now I got to take this back. And it's now that that portrait is in the book. And among, you know, his, his interview was so interesting. And of course it's condensed, but um, he gave so much great information that uh, I was so proud to be able to share that, but also to get that photo was so meaningful because it kind of was a statement of like, Hey, you know, we've connected throughout this interview. And he felt it was, you know, we had a great kind of dialogue. And that was just, I guess, some little gift he gave to us. So getting that photo in the book, that's probably one of my favorite, uh, favorite stories from from the interviews.
0: Mm, interesting. And I think it's very Kyoto style, right? You don't go straight, not like Osaka or Tokyo. And then no. they test like three steps. And it's almost like, you know, if you are invited to their house in Kyoto, don't say yes the first time. You have to wait until, like, third time. And then oh. if you go in, you, you pass the test of being polite. So yeah, it's very like, true.
1: And, you know, it's it's something that I've been lucky from the start to have. You know, both uh, both certainly my wife, who who's from Japan, and our staff and friends who have been able to help me, you know, as they say, read the air to be able to understand, you know, just speak less, keep, you know, pay attention to what's going on. And, you know, you're not going to – there's no – Certainty that things are always going to go the exact way you think or, or not. And, and you know, there's also people certainly in Uji that have been from the start more gregarious and outgoing, but certainly he, I think, was very representative of an older school style of, uh, of business, you know, where that's just, just how things go, and I'm and I get it. I'm on I'm I'm doing business with them. I'm in their you know house. I'm on their terms, and I've always just been like that's the way it goes. We don't push too hard. We just we try, and if it happens, it happens. And if he didn't give me the photo, and you know, I'm sure the the scroll would have looked really nice in the book too. <laughs>
0: right. So it's a cultural lesson, right? That's it's Absolutely. not just tea. It's not just a beverage. It's everything. So, right, and then um, so. After writing this amazing book, did you anything, did anything change?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, now I have a book. (laughs) So that was a big thing. That was kind of like, you know, the process of writing the book, I think. And what I learned of course the information I learned I mean as much as this is an education for those who are reading it it was also a personal education so you know going through the process of, of asking the questions and spending time with them and compiling things that was a big learning experience for myself uh, and just having it out there now I feel like it's for me it's such a great thing to have to be able to like it just sort of condenses so much of um, what I'm you know I've been working on or trying to explain you know over the last decade, and it's like, you know, however, it's 260 pages that you can just say, here, this is it. You can read the story here. So it feels really nice to be able to have that and to be able to share that with people who, you know, might say, well, what is this all about? You can say, well, here's the book. And by the first chapter, they're like, "Oh, okay, I, I, it's so clear to me now what it is that you're trying to, you know, trying to share." And above that, you know, to be able to to highlight these producers and, and really that was the, the, the fundamental idea of the book was to share their stories and show, you know, the the work and the you know the expertise that they have. And I believe that that adds value to the products then because people can say, "Oh my gosh, I remember what I read about." you know, tatsuhiro san and how he makes sencha and shizuoka. And when I tasted his teas, it really brought a new sense of respect to that. So I think that's really important.
0: Mm, right. Okay, and I'm sure uh, all the people who interviewed you interviewed in the book, they are kind of celebrating, um, you know, the tea culture thriving in outside of Japan.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. So, okay. And uh, again, the title of Zach's new book is Stories of J- Japanese Tea, The Regions, The Growers, and The Craft, uh, published by Princeton Architectural Press. So where can we find your book?
1: Well, thankfully, the book is available and, you know, all markets so from your you know here in new york it's available in all the major bookstores you can get it on amazon barnes and noble online like books a million bookshop.com IndieBound, indigo uh, book depository which is an international um site but it's really it's in thankfully in, in major markets um and in most like local bookstores so yeah and if they don't have it most of those bookstores can um can order it for you so it's it's quite easy to get so Mm, yeah. great. Or you can come and you can get it from our website, Kettle.co, K-E-T-T-L C-O. We have it available there as well.
0: Mm, okay. And uh, I really like the size of the book. It's beautiful, like, you know, tea color. And it's really, it fits in my hand. So you can carry it around when you want to learn more about tea or you could just carry it as a reading book. Uh, it's about uh, people's story too. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. All right, so we'll take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll discuss Zach's new cafe and gallery that he opened last year. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of the Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Tribe Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware, and the Welsh Natural Sharpening Stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit koin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, actually, my apartment <laughs> uh, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, I'm your host, Koteama, and my guest today is Zach Mangan, who is the co-founder of Kettle, the Japanese tea importer and distributor based in Fukuoka, Japan, and New York. Okay, so, uh, so you opened your flagship ca- cafe in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, last year. So what do you offer there? And by the way, Greenpoint is becoming a really cool area recently.
1: <laughs> yeah, we timed it right. That's for sure. It is. Um, yeah, so we have a, a new, it's about less than a year old. Uh, we call it kind of our flagship cafe because uh, we, do, we can do everything here. So it's, it's kind of an interesting space in that we do a takeaway element, meaning you can just walk down the street. Open, you know come up to the window take a, a drink or a matcha soft serve to, to the park and just kind of make it part of your daily walk or you can enter in and the reason I really wanted to have this space was you know having an online business and a wholesale business is is, is wonderful and it's it's a real strong part of uh, our identity as, as as a tea seller but um, when it comes to the experience of tea and um, you know the I guess the, the right word is just the immersive potential of tea. We really needed a space that people could come and see what it is that, um, you know, tea has to offer. So we have a mill that we brought from Kyoto, which mill, we can mill the matcha on a stone mill and you can try fresh milled matcha. Uh, we have a hojicha roaster. So we're able to roast hojicha and, um, we, you know, we have sweets. We have a full line of, of sweets that, you know, are, are made by Japanese pastry chefs. So my wife actually designed also a parfait, and you can sit at the counter and experience that. But there's just the world of tea and the fragrances, the, the colors, all of those things you can experience there. And that was something that was really important. For me to have um, for the company, so people can can fall in love with it in the way that I did by you know by by kind of experiencing it in all its different forms.
0: Mm, right, and uh, so your flagship cafe also has a gallery space called Kettle Gallery. So, what is the theme of the gallery?
1: yeah that's uh it's it's kind of a flexible space that we you know when we feature new um collections of work, for example, my wife Minami is a ceramicist and she has her studio on site actually on in in the basement level of our store, so where I'm sitting right now actually so she she produces work here, has a kiln, fires it, and then for example um on the eighteenth and nineteenth of this month, june we will feature her her work in the gallery space. So it's just a way for us to be able to share um, in a different venue, um, you know, some of, of the artisans' work that we work with outside of T. And it's also flexible in that we could do host dinners there. We can show, you know, do educational programming. Um, so it's this extra space that we have outside of
0: the store. Mm, right. I think it's really important to have events to actually effectively elevate the understanding tea as well as having fun together so i'm so glad you have such a great flexible space yeah and yeah and then uh well uh by the way who comes to your cafe and gallery
1: that's a great question we were talking about this the other day is that it's really interesting to see the different types of customers we get here um, and i kind of see that as like a almost like when you have you know it's like a healthy business that you're drawing in different types of people so you know we may have you know a group of young women that come specifically they heard about the parfait so they'll come in they'll sit down they'll order some tea and they'll really just be there to you know enjoy the authentic kind of japanese style sweets that we have or somebody who practices tea ceremony that their teacher said oh if you need matcha you should go to uh, to kettle and they come in and they maybe have some specific questions about where the matcha comes from or somebody who's like, Hey, I'm, you know, I heard you have ceramics. So I'm here to look for teacups or for a QSU teapot, or we also sell incense. So it's, there's just so many, I guess, types of customers that come. And I think the thing that I, I enjoy is a lot of them will come for one reason and then be captivated by something else in space. So they may come, just to get a matcha latte to go, but then say, Oh, you sell the matcha for the latte? Oh, maybe I'll take that home. And then they come back the next time you're like, wow, now I'm hooked, so I need to get a, a whisk. Do you have a, a matcha whisk? And, you know, we show them, you know, it's it's you can actually watch people kind of go through the process of becoming more familiar with Japanese tea and you know we really want to meet people where they're at so we don't want it to be an intimidating space or somewhere that you have to have a lot of experience in order to kind of appreciate what's going on so I give a lot of credit to our staff who you know we, we really focus on making people feel welcome when they come in and also if you come in with questions we can provide you know really you know uh, high-level answers, and we have a lot of information about origin and about how things, you know, are processed, where they come from. So I think people really appreciate that whether you're coming in for the first time or if you've been drinking Japanese tea your whole life, there's something for you to, you know, to learn and to take home from the store.
0: Mm. Right. Yeah, I think uh, tea is a lifestyle, right? Because you have so many different kind of flavors and taste Just out of tea leaves, and you have so much... Uh, to choose from and also kind of we don't make things very often but just like you know you make a nice cup of coffee from grinding to the finished product you can have the same thing with tea and if you have a nice teapot or teacup there's something you look forward to every day so yes so I I understand why people going back to your place Mm, yeah and
1: and, you know and we live in such a you know, online and digital world. That you know, there's still room for analog things. You know, for things that you touch and for craft. And I, you we've seen it. I'm sure there's you know, the craft movement and the celebration of things that are made with your hands is is it's it's it's, it's quite popular. And tea is just at the intersection of that. So it's something I think people really find uh, is a is a great way to spend a small part of your day.
0: Mm, right, a uh, small and important and punctuated right. part of the day.
1: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. True.
0: So uh, you also have an outlet in Manhattan called Kettle Bowery. So what do you offer there? Right. So if you were to
1: take sort of and condense what we offer in Brooklyn into a much smaller space, almost like the front takeaway and uh, the back counter condensed into one space of our Brooklyn store, that's what we do in, in Bowery. So what I wanted to do in Bowery was sort of emulate some of the like back alley smaller you know, uh, bars that you have in Tokyo, but to do it with tea. And I wanted there to be the ability in the same way in Brooklyn that you could meet a customer wherever they are. So if someone comes in and says, Oh, I just, great, I heard they have gelato and I want to get a hojicha latte, we do a beautiful gelato, we do a beautiful hojicha latte, and they're on their way. Or you can sit at one of the four seats on the Bowery in this little stand and we'll make you competition gyokuro from Uji. You know, I mean, we can really give you a full experience and a very refined experience in kind of an unexpected location. So it's a very unique space. I don't think there's anything else like it in the, in the country. And that it's, it's so small, you can't go into the store. It's only, you can sit at the counter or you can take something away. But I think that the heart and the intention that we, we, you know, we take with, with making the products there is at the same level that you, we would, you know, if, if you came to Brooklyn, so there's no compromising. It's just a smaller space
0: um cool yeah i mean we we can find good tea leaves but if you don't know how to make it or actual good tea that was made well it's hard to get really interested in it so it's nice to have different outlets that you have um hopefully you can expand like
1: uh yeah yeah we have some plans I, i i'm not at liberty to share quite yet but hopefully uh you know, we'll we'll chat again soon, and I can I can share some of our next steps the things that we're working on in the cafe space as well.
0: Mm, okay, and uh, you mentioned earlier, but you, you have supplied high quality tea to restaurants and cafes, and what I read is your clients hold forty mission stars in total. That's a lot of stars. So, uh, since we spoke on the show uh, many years ago, has the demand for Japanese tea changed? And if so, who is drinking Japanese tea right
1: now? Oh, that's has it been that long? I can't believe that was six years ago. But yes, we have been continuing to uh, you know to to support chefs and support restaurants and cafes and bringing the level of of tea you know up. And I do think a lot has changed. I think that there are there is a higher demand. There's a more discerning customer now. I don't think it's yet where wine is. I don't think people are, you know, quite as knowledgeable about uh tea or Japanese tea um in the in the bigger picture as they are about wine, but I think we're on the right path. And so much about working with chefs for me is to be able to reach, you know, more customers and put tea into a context that's maybe a little bit uh, unexpected. Because I find the strongest impression you can leave on someone is is when you, you provide a great experience in an unexpected way. So I think, you know, through our partnerships with chefs, we've, we've done um, two so far of what we call our chef series, which is where we actually curate a tea with a chef. Um, and then we provide it to them. Uh, in a way that they can then, you know, provide it to their customers, and they can also sell it in their restaurants. So we've done one with uh, Chef Nas from Sushi Nas. He was our very first partner, and uh, it was it was great. It was great to see, you know, that uh, that kind of partnership between Sushi Nas and uh, and Kettle, and it was it was really fun, you know, to to get a chance to to share it and see, you know, people having, a, you know kind of a conversation about tea in a way that, um, was closer to wine and and was, I think more thoughtful. And, and, and that was something that was, was, uh, Really, really exciting. And then, uh, secondly, we did one with James Kent from the restaurant Crown Shy, and he's just a great guy, a personal lover of tea, and he was so into it and enjoyed, you know, having the teas. Uh, we we did a fun special packaging. So all of those, you know, using you know, or working with chefs and, and using their, um, you know, their microphone to talk about teas, it's just it's a great way to 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 get the word out, and then also you know see how that affects the demand because once people try it you know, they, now they know like, wow, okay. That experience was way different than I expected. And I want that again. And that's the hope is that those types of partnerships will, will bring more people into the world of tea.
0: Mm, Right. And it's really cool. You know, Sushi Nozu. So their team um, came to Japanese studio, really cool open-minded and also creative people. So they're they're amazing. amazing.
1: Yeah. And they're, you know, they, they're, you know, passion for quality and for ingredients is just, you know, I mean, second to none. They're they're a great, great team.
0: Mm. And also uh, Chef James Kent, he's really well known for um, amazing restaurant and, you know, his skills. But it's totally non-Japanese. I'm surprised that he was interested in, uh, you know. But I'm curious, what kind of uh, the tasting menu for the tea tasting menu items did you offer?
1: So with them, uh, we'd actually, with Nas, we do, and they'd actually offer a complete pairing to the meal with our teas, which is amazing. They do a full, you know, uh, flight. Uh, With James Kent, we just do some a la carte things. So he's personally, he drinks uh, our Uji Genmai Matcha every day. And it's something that we have this funny story during the pandemic. uh, He, they they ran out of it. And he told someone at the staff, I'll order the Genmai Matcha and they ordered it. From a different company, unknowingly, and so James Kent gets it in the morning and he's drinking it and he's like, "Oh no, kettle! What's happened? They're, they've they've really the, the quality isn't there anymore." So he wrote me this email. and He's like, "Zach, it's James Kent. Like, I don't know what happened with that last batch you sent us, but it's just not the same." And you know, uh, can you send me another one? And I'm like looking through the orders, going, "I don't think we sent them tea in the last couple months." So we were laughing because he was, you know, he he really could tell the difference because he drinks it every day. So. You know, of course, we sent our our tea off to him, and then the next week he's like, "Okay, everything's good again. The world, the world is, <laughs> is, is, makes sense." So he he just loves it personally, and it was fun to see it. You know, and the packaging was turned out really cool. We get their signature on the front, and it, it was great.
0: Mm, interesting. Well, just for listeners who are not familiar with Game major, what's the reason James likes this so much?
1: You know, I think that genmaicha, it's a blend of uh, green tea with uh, roasted brown rice. And I think that that flavor profile of the rice is very nostalgic. Uh, for a lot of people, it, it's something similar to like, if you grew up eating kasha or certain types of cereal, it has this beautiful kind of like rich graininess to it. And it's it's one of the most popular and most uh, beloved Japanese teas uh, for Americans because it was introduced so so much earlier than many other styles. So in sushi restaurants specifically, or Japanese restaurants like on the West Coast and East Coast, it's often served. So it's kind of a familiar tea for, for a lot of people in the States.
0: Mm, right. I like the balance of uh, greenness of the tea versus roasted uh, leaves and also the roasty uh, rice cracker mm-hmm. taste. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like sembe.
0: Right. <laughs> okay. And uh, so, um, well, what are your plans and dreams? Because you're a kind of person who does everything hundred percent, hundred twenty percent. So I'm curious, what are you planning?
1: Well, I would like to continue. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I was talking to you before about a little bit about this. Is that you know you have twenty four hours in the day, and you also, you know, I, I like to have a life. I like there's things outside of of my business that I enjoy. My wife and I like to hike, like to take photos. But in in the sense of the business, I I feel like I'm in that part of my life where I have the energy and and, and the drive to do this. So I have a lot of big plans. I, I, you know, first and foremost, I just want to continue to drive the conversation around producers and around quality and around telling the story of, you know, people that make these products. And the reason I, I care so deeply, number one, is because their stories are so interesting. They're such, you know, Interesting people and kind people and hardworking people that I want to share more about their product. But also, I believe that in order to get to the next stage of tea, which is to have it thought about and talked about with the same reverence as, you know, whether it's craft cocktails or wine, uh, is to have that appreciation for who makes the product and and attaching names and attaching the stories of the products to the teas is something I'm really passionate about. And I think that will continue to drive tea to the next level. And that's something that, you know, like uh, one of my heroes was, is Kermit Driscoll, or, or excuse me, Kermit Lynch. Sorry, Kermit Driscoll is a bass player. Kermit Lynch, <laughs> uh, who is uh, w- one of the pioneers of, of really working directly with, with French wine producers and bringing their products uh, into the States. And he spent so much time talking about who made the wine, not necessarily what the wine was. Like, yes, this is... Cab Franc. But this is the person who made it. And same with George Howell, who's uh, a luminary coffee importer from Boston. And he sort of did the same thing, which was spending so much time with the people and talking about the people. So that's my big project. But we have some plans for a cafe. We have some plans for another book. Uh, my wife is working really hard with the helping with the ceramic side and, and doing her own work. So I really want to support that. So uh, w- there's a lot planned and I'm just trying to keep it all organized. So we'll you know, keep an eye out and I hope you can follow along. You can, we have an Instagram. Uh, it's just at Kettle Tea and uh, the website. We we have a newsletter. So we're always sending updates on um, things we're doing in, in uh, and, uh, I believe it's July or first week of July, we're doing a tea pairing dinner with June wine bar, uh, with Diego Moya, who's a great chef there. And I'm really excited about that. It's, it's going to be a small affair. So I think it's going to sell out pretty quick, but uh, hopefully this will be on the air before the tickets go out. So people can check that out. So there's lots, lots, lots of stuff in the works. So I just have to stay calm and focused, <laughs> not, not drink too much caffeine.
0: Right, <laughs> it must be hard. So the kettle is K E T T L, so right. no no e no at the e. end. Yep.
1: Right, correct. Right. Kettle with without an e. Right,
0: and also I think you know, uh, you talked about producers, um, you know, who the growers, producers, food process tea, and also blenders. All those people really important, but unfortunately, Japanese population is shrinking, and it's not gonna re- get reversed Uh, unless they have a huge immigration policy change. So Mm -hmm. they need you, someone like you who can introduce those stories, amazing stories and history and tradition to, to the world. So good luck.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for, I mean, this is you know having to be able to share the story with you and your listeners. Uh, You've been such a supporter for since the start. So I, I always appreciate uh, you know, being on the show and getting to chat with you and, also you know just i also listen to your show so i love hearing other people's stories and that brings me a lot of uh inspiration for how they're approaching things and what i can borrow from them so i appreciate you doing and sharing all the things that you share as well
0: oh thank you so much all right so hopefully you can come back and give us more updates sometime in the near future
1: yeah i'd love to anytime you send you send a message i'll be there
0: okay great all right so thanks again for joining us today zach Thank you. All right. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for short topics or guests, please contact us at chipaneets at the Radio or at kikotema.com. Japan is a weekly program and always available at heritage Radio as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Amin Benjun, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Bun is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradonetwork.org slash subscribe.